You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. Let's stand to honor the reading of God's Word. There are two passages we're going to look at. There is 2 Samuel chapter 7, and uh, we're going to we're going to dive into that, uh, verses 12 through 17, and then we'll go right over into Luke chapter 1. And so uh, my encouragement to you is if you have a physical Bible with you or if you have a digital device, don't close it afterwards. I'm going to want you to see some things in the text when we get into uh, the sermon this morning. But Second uh, Samuel chapter 7, beginning with verse 12, the words will be on the screen. And this is a covenant that God made to King David. When your days are finished and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and with strokes of sons of mankind. But my favor shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, from whom I removed from you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever, in accordance with all these words and all of this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. Now, Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. I love hearing Bible pages turn, by the way. <laughs> That's so cool. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to him, or to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and was uh, pondering what kind of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. But Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason also the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth herself has conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called infertile is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the Lord's bondservant, may, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Uh, let's pray. God, I just ask that right now that you will do what only you are able to do in our lives. Open our eyes. Give us ears to hear. God, whatever the noise is that's just cluttering our minds and our hearts, you know, in this room this morning, for those watching the live stream this morning, God, that you will quiet all of that that you will give us ears to hear, that you would give us a heart that would receive your word. God, that you will do what only you are able to do in our lives. God, we ask that as, as your word goes forth, as we dive into the holy, 
scriptures that you through the power of your Holy Spirit will do what only you are able to do in our lives I don't know everyone in this room Lord you do and you know just everything that is surrounding each and every individual in this room you know what, what burdens they're carrying this morning you know what's troubling them this morning you know uh, what anxieties are filling their hearts and their minds this morning you know all of that and so, God, I ask that you would speak into each and every life in this room, including my own, and do what only you are able to do, change lives, generate life. If there's anyone in this room who does not yet know you because they do not yet know Jesus Christ, your son, God, generate life in this room. Give ears to hear and a heart that would receive your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. All right, we are in this Advent series. We're going to start off focusing our attention on, on, on 2 Samuel, and we'll end with uh, Luke chapter 1, and we'll, we'll piggyback off of that next week as we, as we continue the, the series in, 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 for Advent. Uh, on Christmas Eve morning, it's a completely different message than Christmas Eve night. So we're doing, as, as Thomas said, we're going to combine both services. It's going to be packed. We'll have lots of chairs in here, a lot more chairs in here, but it will be great. I encourage you to come to our Christmas Eve morning service and come back for the evening. So all of it's connected to this Advent series. But we're in, we're in 2 Samuel, and uh, what I want to do is just kind of set things up for you. One of the things that's, that I find staggering about Advent, about, about the, the, the Christmas season, about co just contemplating the birth of Jesus Christ, is, is this, is that God is in the business of entering into our mess. Like All throughout human history, we see that. He, he enters into the mess of humanity, into the mess of our sin, and he, he's in the business of, of redemption. There is... It's ancient prophecy in, in Genesis chapter 49, uh, verses 8 through 10, which I'll, I'll read in a minute. But I just, you, you need to know something about, who, about Judah, who was one of the sons of Jacob. He was, not a, he was not a stellar guy. He was a mess. He was a train wreck. Uh, he, he just, you can read about his life in, in Genesis if you'd like. I just want to summarize a few things for you. He like his brothers, he was told by his parents, do not marry Canaanite women. And the reason is, is because they'll turn your heart away from the Lord. There was all kinds of stuff that, that surrounded the, the culture of the Canaanites in terms of who they worshipped, how they worshipped. Uh, it, it was, they did some horrible things. And, and Jacob, who was later named Israel, and you got the 12 tribes of Israel, and they're represented by these sons, Judah's one of them, uh, he said, look, don't marry Canaanite women. They'll turn your, your heart away from, uh, away from Yahweh. And you know what Judah did? He went out and he found a Canaanite wife, and he married her, and he had three sons with her. And uh, we're told, uh, we're not told a whole lot about the, the youngest uh, son that he had with this Canaanite woman, but uh, the two older ones, were, we're told, were evil. Like, they were so evil that God took them out. Like that's how that's how jacked up they were. So so God, um, not God, Jacob, 
you know, told him, don't marry Canaanite women. Judah marries a Canaanite woman. Uh, and for his oldest son, he finds a wife for his oldest son by the name of Tamar. And, uh, and so Tamar and, and, and uh, Judah's old, oldest son, they start a life together, but he dies before they can have children. Now what you need to know about all this is that, is that in that day and age, if a woman had, uh, was married and, and her husband died and she had no children, uh, it, w- it wasn't looking good for her, like in terms of just success and thriving and living. A lot of women would turn to either prostitution or it was like a death sentence for them. That was, that was Tamar's situation. And there was a law in the Old Testament, that, uh, a law that Judah was uh, familiar with, that if the, if the son died, if one of the sons died, and his wife was left without an heir, the other son was to provide that heir, and that child would be the heir of the older son. So you can read all about that in Genesis. Uh, so... Judah sets Tamar up with his other son. That other son was also wicked. He died. So the, the, Judah had a third son. He's like, there's no way I'm giving this third child to Tamar. They're like, she's cursed. Something's wrong with her. And so he tells her a lie. He says, why don't you go hang out? Just live with your mom and dad for a while. And when my youngest son grows up, uh, you, then you can get married to him. And it, it, no intention. Judah had no intention of ever doing that. So Tamar is she, she's widowed, she, she's childless, and she's desperate. So what does she do? She's like, I don't believe this guy. I don't believe my father-in-law. He, he's, he's, I mean, he's, not a, he's not a standout guy. Uh, I, I don't think he's telling me the truth. I know what I do. Because I know his character, this is what I'll do. I will, I, I will take off the clothing that marks me as a widow, and I will dress up like a prostitute. You know where this is going. So, so she does that. She dresses up as a prostitute, not just any old prostitute, by the way. She dresses the part of what I believe a, as a temple prostitute, a prostitute uh, for, for pagan gods and stuff like the, the guys would sleep with because she knew that her father-in-law would see her and would, would, per, would purchase her to have sex with her. And, so, and that's exactly what happened. That's Judah, one of the tribes of, you know, the father, one of the tribes of Israel, the tribe of the line of the kings, Judah, that guy. So he sees this woman. He doesn't know, he didn't know it was Tamar. He just thought she was a prostitute on his way out. His, his wife had died, so, so he was without a wife. And he finds this woman and he says, look, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a goat for your services. And she says, okay, fine. But uh, I, I also want something just as collateral just to make sure I get that goat. And so he does that. He gives her like a signet and stuff that would identify uh, who Judah was. So he purchases her as a prostitute, has sex with her. She gets pregnant. And then somebody says, hey, Judah, you know, your, your daughter-in-law is pregnant, like out of wedlock, man. Judah's like, well, burn her alive. <laughs> That's what he tells them to do. And then, so then she says, wait a second, before you end my life, who do these belong to? And Judah like, was like, oh boy, <laughs> right? <laughs> they're, they're mine. Um, and, 
And that's Judah. I, there, you could read about Judah's story and, and Genesis and Judah and Tamar's story in Genesis chapter 38. I just want to set this up for you, because to now, to be fair to Judah, he like he, he kind of turns his life around, um, and there's a redemptive thing that happens in his life as a result of of this horrible thing. But God, as God can only do, entered into Judah's mess. And, and there was this prophecy that was given to him, this promise that was given to him that was not conditioned on Judah's character, but conditioned on the character of God. And, and this is, a, this is the, the, the promise. The words will, will be on the screen. It says, As for you, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on, on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares to stir him up. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. God enters into the mess, our mess, and he does what only he's able to do, and he did that with Judah. So Tamar has twins. And uh, one of those twins is a guy by the name of Perez. You know who's in Jesus' family tree? Perez. I mean, it's just, if you ever do, I know sometimes it's boring to read through genealogies in the Bible. <laughs> I think there's a, Homer, uh, a Simpsons episode where Homer Simpson is uh, deciding to listen to the Bible. And so he starts off you know, at night and all through the, I guess all the way up into the morning are still listing uh, the genealogies of of names. Like, I, I know they can be boring sometimes, but there's a purpose behind them. And if you read uh, the genealogy of uh, you know, Jesus in Matthew and also in Luke, you'll see some pretty, pretty messed up people in that family tree. Like, you have a child as a, who's the result of an incestuous relationship in that family tree. You've got all kinds of stuff going on there. And so, so then... Um, Seven generations after Perez, Boaz was born, who would marry a, a Moabite woman by the name of Ruth, and they, together they would have a son who would be the grandfather of a, another child by the name of David. That brings us up to, up to uh, 2 Samuel. I, I, I just, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of geek out over this. Like, if God can do that in the lives of people like Judah and, and, and Tamar and so many other people, you know what that means for us? There's hope for us. That's, why, that's where I get the whole thing. Uh, you'll hear me say frequently, like, the, the, there is no sin that is so great that God's grace cannot overcome. That's the story of redemption in the Bible. That's the story of Advent. That's the story of Christmas. And so we, we, we come to this passage in 2 Samuel, and, and so I have two points that I'm going to share with you. The first is this, the type of house that David wanted to build. Now, David is a, the king, he's the second king in Israel, and he's the king by all, by, to whom all other kings are compared. He's a, he, he turns out to be a pretty great king, a very flawed king, but a pretty great king. He, he had a heart that was for the Lord. In fact, we, we learn of him in the Bible that he was a man, at, God said of him, he's a man after my heart um, and, he does, and he desires to do my will. That doesn't mean David always did God's will. It just means that he really loved God, 
even though he was a deeply flawed individual. One of the great, I, any of you like, like really great lines from movies? Like, I like Rocky. Anybody like Rocky in here? Like, okay, some of, come on, man. Like, some of you. Like, there's a great line in Rocky where, you know, Rocky Balboa says, it's not about how hard you can hit, but how hard you can get hit. And, you know, remember that, any of you? Okay, fine. <laughs> um, but there's great lines in movies, and uh, I thought about showing some of those to you, but we don't have time for that. There's a great line in the Bible, one of my favorite lines in the Bible with David. And, and you have this guy by the name of Goliath. He's a Philistine warrior, and he's their champion, and he's huge. And David, uh, David was you know, asked by his dad, hey, I want you to bring you know, some lunch to your brothers, uh, and, and you know, don't get in trouble, pretty much is what he tells them. And so David goes, and he hears this Philistine, this, this, this Goliath guy, taunting the armies of Israel, the army of Israel. And Saul, who was king at that time, and the army of Israel, they're all afraid of him. And David's like, who's going to shut this guy up? And his brother's like, dude, shut up, man. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. It's the Keith Miller version. So, so, he, so he like, he, he, uh, he's like, I'll fight this guy. I'll fight him. And like David's like 15 years old, probably around, around 15 years old at this point in time, maybe 14. I'll fight this guy. Saul's so like, all right, well, you're, it's your funeral, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you wear my armor. The armor didn't fit David. He's like, just let me just wear my normal clothes, and I'll take my slingshot and some stones. And he does that, and he says, he goes, he goes out to meet Goliath, and he says to Goliath, like, Goliath's like, who's this little peon? And David says, you come to fight me with a sword, a spear, and a saber, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled, this day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you and remove your head from you. Then I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild animals of the earth, so that all Israel may know that there is a God in Israel, and that the entire assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will hand you over to us. Like, yeah, like after reading that. <laughs> Sorry, I remember reading that for the first time. Like, you go, David. Um, and so, so it would be another 10 to 15 years before David would be sworn in as king, like before he'd be coronated as king. Uh, there was like five years where he had to run and hide from Saul before that. And there's all kinds of stuff connected to his story that we don't have time to go into. But what you need to know is that David had a heart for the Lord. He trusted the Lord. And... Um, and God blessed him. God blessed him. He delivered the Philistines to him. He, he, uh, he, he did some really great things for the nation of Israel. And, and some, some years had passed, and he, got, he, he comes to the point in his life where he's like, you know, I have a really nice house, but, but we don't have a, a house for the Lord. We just have this tabernacle, this moldy tabernacle that's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old, made of fabric. And uh, so I want to build a house for the Lord. So David goes to Nathan, who's a prophet, and he says, hey, Nathan, I want to build a house for the Lord. Nathan says, well, go, go have at it, man. That sounds like a great plan. But then God speaks to Nathan. This is at the beginning part of, of chapter uh, of first Samuel, or second Samuel, chapter 7 verse 8, if you're tracking with me, and, and God says, no, no, I don't want David building a house for me. I don't even need a house. What are we, what, what are we talking about a house for? 
right? He says, um, I've been with you wherever, this is verse 9. Um, well, actually, let's start in verse 8. I myself took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be a leader over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have eliminated all your enemies from you. I will also make a great name for you, like the names of uh, the great men who are, who are on the earth. And um, he's basically like, David, I did all that for you, man. In, verse one, in, the, in the very beginning verses in chapter 7, he says, uh, Nathan said to the king, go do all that, you know, that's in your mind. Like David wanted to build this temple for him. And, um, and God said, uh, this, this is what the Lord says, should you build me a house for my dwelling? This is really important. You need to see this. Uh, like, for I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt. Even to this day, rather, I have been moving about in a tent, that is, in a dwelling place. If you read between the lines, what God is saying is, I have dwelt amongst my people. I don't need a temple. I don't need a temple. So, so David, you're not going to build me a house, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build you a house. He's not just talking about any old house. He's talking about a dynasty. He's talking about a kingdom that will last forever. Uh, it's really, I mean, like, like, this is really critical, what, what God says here, because what you need to know is that what was common for the kings to do, the kings of the nations, what they would do is they would, in an effort to appease whatever God that they worshipped, they would build a temple. They would build him a house with the hope and the desire and the plan that that God would then bless them and, and expand their kingdom. So David's just doing what the other kings do. Now, I think David's heart was, like, I think his motives were pure, but um, God was protecting David from something. So God says, no, you, you can't build this house for me. Um, there will be another son who will build a house for me, but you, you can't build this house for me. And just so we're clear, I don't need a house. I created everything. <laughs> like, I created the galaxies. I created planet Earth. I created all of it. I don't need a house. Eugene Peterson said something. Who's, uh, he, Eugene Peterson's home with the Lord now. He said this, and I thought this was perceptive, and it's on the screen here. I think David was just about to cross over a line from being full of God to being full of himself. I thought that was really good. I don't think David was thinking that, but I think the danger was there. If any of us develops an identity in which God and God's grace is less important to who we are than our own action and performance, our ability to represent God's kingdom is utterly ruined. I thought that was perceptive. That's the danger. Hey, God, I'm going to build you a house so that you'll bless me. You know, hey, <laughs> The thing that marks every religion apart from Christianity, listen, is the, the desire to build whatever God they worship, a house. I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back, kind of a, kind of a philosophy. And so, so the thing that steps, sets Christianity apart is that you can do nothing. Like you can bring nothing to God's table of righteousness. Like you come, remember Sermon on the Mount? You come with empty hands. You come as, as one beggar telling other beggars where to, where to find food. And so, so uh, God says, no, you, you, you can't build a house for me, David. I'm going to build a dynasty, and, and it's going to come from your lineage, from, from your gene pool. Um, 
Tim Keller, who, who also went home to be with the Lord this past year, uh, said this, he, and I thought this was so good. He said, um, he, says, I, I, he basically paraphrases what's going on here. He says, I promise, he says, I promise to make your descendants a dynastic kingdom, and I will so graciously and unconditionally commit myself to them, regardless of their merit, regardless of their pedigree, I will so graciously and unconditionally commit myself to them that neither death, sin, nor time will break my commitment. You hear the difference? David's motive was, I just want to do something nice for, for, for this God, just like all the other kings do for their gods. God's response was, I'm going to do something for you. And David, it's not conditioned on anything that you can do for me. In fact, in about three or four chapters, you're going to really blow it big time. Right? We come to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, and what does David do? He has, he has an affair with a woman by the name of Bathsheba, and he has her husband killed. Like, just, like, I don't know what kind of, how much time elapsed from, from this conversation David had with God and the promise that God made him, but just so you're aware, God knew what was coming. He's sovereign. And he promises David the, these, this thing, this, that, that there's this king that's going to come. He's going to be the king that the nations need. David, you're not what the, king, what the nations need. You're, you are a man after my own heart. But you're not what this world needs. What the world needs is they need a perfect king. They need a king who will make what is wrong with this world right. Tim Keller points out that there are two principles at play here you know, that God operates by. There's the incarnation principle, and then there's the grace principle. I thought that was really good. The incarnation principle and the grace principle. The incarnation principle is that God does not need a building because he intends to dwell with his people. That has been the plan all along. Remember Garden of Eden? God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Uh, there's the incarnation principle. And then there's the grace principle. God will do what only God is able to do or is capable of doing apart from any help from any other person. I, I don't know how many of you need to, to, to hear this, but you cannot add to your salvation. There is nothing you bring to God's table that's the, that where God will say, oh, I, that's nice. You did a lot of nice things. Why don't you just come on in now? Like that's not, we have nothing to bring to God's table. When Tom passed away due to his massive heart attack, he didn't stand before God, and God did not say to him, Tom, you're a really nice guy. Come on in. The only reason why Tom was able to enter into the presence of God is because all of his righteousness, past, present, and future, was in Jesus Christ and him alone. That is the gospel. That is the message of Advent. So, so thank God that he operates on those two principles, right? Because everything seemed to be going well for David until we get to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And, uh, and, and David made a mess of his life. He made a mess of his life. And if, if this promise that there would be a king who would reign and rule forever on David's throne, if this promise was conditioned on anything that David was able to do, there would be no hope for any of us. All hope would have been lost. Um, in spite of David's sin, God was committed to his promises uh, to, to David and to the nations. There would be a deliverer who would come, which leads me to my second point, and that is the type of house that God would build. The type of house that God would build. And that's, so we go, this is where we go into Luke chapter 1. 
you know, fast forward a thousand years. There's probably about a thousand years between this promise and, and Second Samuel that was made to, to David and this announcement that was given to Mary by this angel. And, uh, and, and God is in the business of entering into our mess. And what does he do? He chooses a woman who nobody knows about. She's like unassuming. Nobody, I mean, she's a teenage girl. She's dirt poor. And she's, a, she's engaged to another guy or to a guy who's also dirt poor. Like there's nothing that they bring to God's table. God didn't like look at Mary and Joseph and like, oh, these are really great people. Like, I, I, there's nothing there. Uh, regardless of what you were brought up with, Mary was a sinner. <laughs> she was a sinner. She needed just as much of, of the forgiveness of her sins as we do. And there was nothing there that God said, oh, uh, you know, she's the, only, she's the only one that qualifies. No. She picks Mary, God picks Mary and Joseph to, to, to be the ones. Mary would carry this child and give birth to him, and Joseph would look out for him for a period of, a period of time. And, uh, and again, the mess David made of his life, God would, um, God would enter into there are years and years and years after David died of, of horrible things that Israel did. There are seasons, there are periods of time in, in, in Israel's history where it was questionable even if, there would, even if the line of Judah remained. But God was preserving things. He was moving time and history and space and empires and kings. He was raising up kings. He was deposing kings. All of that leading up to this moment in Luke chapter 1. He, he, like, he, he used Alexander the Great to, to make it so that most people spoke a common language. And he used the Roman Empire to develop roads, uh, to make it possible to communicate that news, the news that was shared with Mary, with the known world. Like God was moving time and space and history and, 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 and kings and and, and, and certain powers to, to do what only God is able to do. To this point, to this point in time where he delivers this news through this angel to Mary. You're going to have a child, Mary. You're going to have a child. Uh, and, and it's not just going to be any child. <laughs> I, I, I get it, Mary. You're, you're a virgin. I am going to do what I, am, what I alone am capable of doing. You're going to be pregnant, and it's going to be a miraculous pregnancy, and you're going to have a child. And just think about this, what this child is described as. If, you, if you're looking in your Bible, Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you shall call him Jesus, which means Savior, by the way. He will... Uh, be great and, uh, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the, thr the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Now, I don't know how many of you were, you know, most of you were here last week when I talked about Deuteronomy chapter 17 and that there are seven qualifications that a king needed to, you know, the ideal king needed to meet and that no king met. Not even David met those, uh, those qualifications. There is a king who meets all those qualifications. It's Jesus. And then if you look at this, guess how many qualifications are listed of Jesus? They're, they're a little different than the ones that we read in Deuteronomy 17, but there are seven characteristics listed here of, 
of this child that was in Mary's womb. And I'll just, I'll just share them with you. That this child will be the son of David. He will be the savior of sinners. He will be great. He will be divinely the son of God. He will be the king of kings. He will reign sovereignly over the nations. And he will reign forever. Uh, number seven, it's just a symbolic of perfection, completion. So think about, think about his titles. I mean, think about the, the, what's described of, of this child. He's a son of David. He's, he's one of us. He's human. He has taken on human flesh. He is what the Bible would call a kinsman redeemer. You remember, kinsman redeemer had to have three qualifications, right? He had to be a member of the family. He had to be willing to purchase back whatever was lost to the family. And he had to have the means to be able to do it. Three qualifications. What happened in the Garden of Eden? The curse of sin. What was lost? <laughs> oh, a lot. But um, a real, a creation was cursed. And here you have, this, you have this son of David. He's a member of the family. He will be a savior of sinners. He's, he, he, has the, he has the desire and he, and, he, and he intends to do what only the kinsman redeemer is qualified to do, and he will be great. He will be great. He has the means to be able to accomplish what the kinsman redeemer is able to accomplish. There's only one kinsman redeemer that is able to reverse the curse of sin, and that's Jesus. It's Jesus. And he goes on to say he will be divinely the Son of God, and he will be the King of kings, and he will reign sovereignly over the nations, and he will reign forever you know, and forever and forever. And I just was just, as I was processing that, just what does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? Like, what is, what is this news? Why is this good news for you, Meadowbrook? Why is it good news for me? As the Son of David, Jesus is fully human. The mess that makes up his family tree serves as a reminder that you look at these kind of people that are listed in the family tree. I think Luke, it's, it's in Luke chapter 3. Like, these are the kind of people that Jesus came to redeem. Think about it. People like Judah. People like Lot's daughter, who got, his, got her dad drunk and, and virtually raped him and, and so that she can get pregnant by him. Those kinds of people, Jesus came to redeem, to turn their mess around. God is in the business, I don't know how many of you need to hear this, but God is in the business of taking the ugly in your life and turning it around into something beautiful. So he, he's the son of David, he's fully human. He was born to enter into our mess and not to leave us there, but to, to deliver us from our sin. God loves you too much to leave you as you are. Now you hear me say that frequently. Secondly, as the Savior for sinners, Jesus is a qualified and able Savior to remedy the problem of mankind. He's the Son of David, so he qualifies. He, he, as, fully, as a fully human Savior, he, he, under, listen, he understands you more than you think he does. He identifies with you. Like you, th you think like when Jesus came out of the womb... No crying he makes. <laughs> <That's>, right. He cried. <laughs> like, I love it when we have like, babies in our, in our auditorium. I love hearing babies in our auditorium. It doesn't bother me a bit. It's, it's a sign of life. And, um, and so Jesus cried. He had to have his diaper changed. He had to be potty trained. Think about that one, right? 
Um, how many of you had children, right? You remember how that went. Um, lots, lots of mess, lots of mess. A laundry bill went up. Um, so, like, he, all that, he had, to learn, he had to learn the language of the day. He was introduced to foods that he didn't like, and he was introduced to foods that he really loved. Like, all those things. He grew up, he identified with us, he got tired. But he was without sin. He was without sin. Secondly, he's, a great, he's great because he is no ordinary king. He's no ordinary human in that he is without sin. He's the one to who, of whom the prophet spoke about long ago. Like Jeremiah 23, I, I, like during our Malachi series, I pointed this one out to you. This is talking about Jesus. And I, and I changed the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, to Yahweh, because in Hebrew that's what it is. That's Yahweh's covenant name. Uh, it's God's covenant name. Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will rise up for you, for David, a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live securely. And this is his name. Whose name? The righteous branch of David. This is his name by which he will be called. The uh, Yahweh, our righteousness. He's God. <laughs> this, is why, this is why he's great. He's, he's God. Uh, in flesh, he brings to the table, <clears throat> Jesus brings to the table um, a grace greater than all of your sins combined. Infinitely greater. And fourth, he is divine because he is truly the son of the Most High. Not in the way that you are a son or a daughter, by the way. He is son of the Most High in that for all eternity... He is the second member of the Trinity, proceeding from the Father. Yeah, I'm working on a, um, what is the Trinity course that hopefully I'll be offering next spring here, but, um, but just, just let that settle in your heart for, for a moment. He is the Son of the Most High. He is divine because before he took flesh in Mary's womb, he was for all eternity and was always the Son. Amen? Yeah. I was re I've been reading this book, and, and the author in, the, in this book on the Trinity said the Trinity is the gospel. The gospel is the Trinity. I mean, it, it's good stuff. Those of you who are reading the, the Advent book, um, you know, there's a, there a line in, I think, yesterday's reading, in Christ, two natures met to be our cure. In, in Christ, two natures met, to be, met together to be our cure. Colossians chapter 1 says this. We can read this one together. It's, it's good. Ready? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. It's speaking of Jesus. It's speaking of Jesus. Fifthly, Jesus is the King of Kings in that he is truly the son of David and at the same time the son of God. He is the king of kings. He is the first and the last. We, <laughs> that's Isaiah 44, speaking of Yahweh, and that's Revelation chapter 1, speaking of Jesus. He is the first and the last. As the king of kings, he calls those um, he saves to follow him as king over their life. Look, Jesus isn't interested in being your co-pilot. He's not interested in being in the back seat. He is the Lord, Right? And, he, and, and his intention for you is for you to thrive in and through a relationship that you were meant for, that you were born for, and that relationship is with God. 
uh, the, the next thing is that he will reign over um, he will reign over the nations sovereignly. He will reign over the nations sovereignly. There, Isaiah. This is next week's passage we'll be looking at. But in Isaiah chapter nine verse seven, it says this: that that um, he, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. Like, there will be no end. Do you know what that means? This peace that we're promised will never crest. It will never abate. It will never diminish. It will always increase. And not just the peace that we'll experience, but also the joy that we will experience. That is the message of Christmas. And, um, and then finally, Jesus' Jesus's kingdom will have no end. And, and he'll reign forever and ever. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible was Isaiah 51, verse 11. Speaking of the reign of the son of David forever and ever, the promise that was made to, to David in 2 Samuel chapter 2, and the promise and the news that was given to Mary in, in Luke chapter 1. And the, and the redeemed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with, look, what does that say? Joyful shouting. Now, just so you know, I, I watched the Eagles game last week. There was no joyful shouting in the Miller household. <laughs> There's, there was weeping. Well, maybe not weeping, but there was a lot of sighing. There was a lot of sighing. Um, but there's coming a day, <laughs> brothers and sisters, like there will be no more sighing. There will be joyful shouting, and everlasting joy will be on their heads. They will obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will what? Will what? Flee away. It will flee away. I can't wait for that day. Jesus, who was born to redeem, as far as the curse of sin is found, is the only one who can give you rest for your weary soul. Amen? Amen. So the worship team's going to come up, and we're going to conclude in a, in a song. So Mary said, you know, at the news of that, she said, well, how can this be? I'm a virgin. Like, how is this, how is this possible? It's not possible apart from God. That's the point. It is unconditional grace. In Jesus, we see those two principles operating. Uh, the principle of incarnation and the principle of, of unconditional grace coming together in the womb of Mary to be born you know, uh, on, on that Christmas day. The angel said to her, here's how it's going to happen, Mary. So wrap your mind around this one, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you for that reason also, the holy child would be called the Son of God. That's how, Mary. That's how. Yahweh is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is the gospel. He's going to redeem lost man as far as the curse is found. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.